Hi, everybody. Welcome to yet another edition of Tech Talk SMB. In today's podcast, I am really thrilled to be sitting here with Wesley McDuffie. Wesley is an IBM security evangelist working with the federal sales team supporting DOD and the intelligence community clients. Wesley is responsible for educating IBM's federal customers from building secure infrastructures to true security intelligence. Wesley has more than 25 years of experience in military-oriented analysis, which to me is really impressive, network infrastructure, and a host of other things all related to the security environment. I have personally seen Wesley give several keynotes in, the, in my years attending conferences, and I can tell you that when people walk out of that room, their jaws are wide open, drop to the floor, and there's always a buzz about being scared about security, but in a good way because it identifies so many of the things that we feel are secure, and he and he shows us how things maybe not as secure as we as we think they as they really are. So, Wesley, thank you for coming to our podcast today. It's really a great pleasure to have you here. I'm I'm happy to be here. I really am. Thanks so much for coming. You know, Wesley, I, I want to start our conversation today with something that I've seen you say at least twice that I can recall in, in present memory, and it stuck with me during one your keynotes, and it, and it goes something like, I'm going to paraphrase, but it says, in your business, if your system gets hacked, there's a data breach. In my area of security, if a system gets hacked, people can die. And boy, when I first heard that, that really got my attention. So what what do you mean by that? What's what's the significance of that statement? In the commercial world, Charles, it when I the, the talk actually started with, about what's your worst day? What's your worst day at work? And when you go to work and you make a mistake, what's going to happen? You you make a policy change, you do a rule change, you do something in the, your course of everyday work and maybe it's wrong. We're human. We are fallible. We are going to make mistakes. When we're in a business concept, if we make a mistake, it's going to cost what? Some overtime. You're going to lose a little money here. Your shareholders may be upset. You could drop the, drop the value of your stock. You could pull an Enron and have to go and testify, and you may blame the IT guy, just like they did. In my world and the people that I deal with, if I make a mistake, people literally can lose their lives because I support the man on the battlefield. I support the woman on the battlefield. I support U.S. intelligence efforts. So me making a mistake can literally and honestly cost somebody their life. No joke. This is a serious topic. It really is. And they are people who around the planet have who are no longer living on this planet because of cyber incidents. Yes, it has literally done that. You know, it doesn't surprise me then, based on what you just said, Wesley, is that, you know, I you, you see year after year, consistently, you read all these reports about top concerns of IT professionals, CIOs, CTOs, the whole C-suite, and the number one concern is security. In, 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 in any form and every form, security just seems to be front of mind every single year. You know, a few years ago, I did a presentation. I was on a panel, and I was the only non-attorney lawyer. I was the only non-CISO, 
And when I say I'm the only non, and I don't know if I can say their name, but we'll say a credit card company from here on out. There was an attorney lawyer type from Congress who wrote bills and articles about cyber. And then there was a couple of other CISOs and CTOs out there. And what I noticed was they had made comments about security being a boardroom talk. And I called them out on it because even though we say it's an everyday talk, it is in the security profession. It is around your CTO, but is it really a truly a talk that you have in your boardrooms with your C-level suites? No, I'm going to be honest. It's not. It may happen, but it's not a daily conversation. I mean, do you get up every day talking about security? No, but our bad guys do. Our adversaries do because that's their job. Their job is to get your stuff. Their job is to create that. The security industry might be an eight to $10 billion a year industry. And in some cases, we'll say it's even more than that because I don't go and check those numbers every day. But I can tell you what the bad guy industry is. It's also in the billions of dollars. The education that I have to do what I do, the bad guys now have that same education. The bad guys know product sets. They know what you're going to do and they know human nature. Which brings up an interesting point, and that is that I think there are some companies out there who feel they are secure, and they they maybe through and the term we use is security through obscurity. I was about to say the exact same thing: security via obscurity. We think, you know, we think we're secure, and there's this uh, potential false sense of security. But so, what do you say to these people when they think, you know, and, and how do you get around that to? really suggest to them that they're not as secure as they might be. You know, years ago, we used to offer something, you know, it was a pen test challenge. If we can find some leak, some vulnerability that we could exploit, we wouldn't charge you for it as a company, but we would come in later, then you would have to get the full-blown service. You know, security through obscurity works in small doses. You don't want to go off and advertise that you have money in your wallet. You don't walk around flashing a big big board that says, hey, I've come rob me because I have X, Y, and Z. We don't do that. So you do keep your mouth shut because it's nobody's business about what you have between, except for your data owners and your data sets. That's who should be involved. But data, but security through obscurity, trying to stay hidden. You know, years ago, we talked about the reason we don't allow something to come through the firewall like ping. It's a great troubleshooting tool. Let's not get these advanced tools in here where you don't need them. But we turn ping off from the outside because we've always been told, well, we don't want the bad guys doing where we are. True, but they already know where you are because every IP has been allotted. So let's, let's play the game for what it really is. It's I can get information by pinging your firewall to find out what kind of firewall it is. I can get information from your routers and your switches if I just ping them because it's going to send me a reply back. Different machines have different types of replies. I can tell you what kind of machine you have by the type of reply. So with that in mind, is there also, there's a possibility of a false sense of security, even the other term I hear is security theater. Oh, yes. Um, I will give you an example of security theater. That's not technical related, so all of our listeners can understand what it is. When you go to the airport, and I will not name who it is, when you go to the airport, all those controls you go through is security theater. You are not the first person to tell me that, by the way. And I, I as somebody who travels a lot, that, that's a concern I have. Because, but the, the idea is that once you go through security, you're in a more sterile area. And you're really not. Because 
How many things do they miss a day? Many. Many. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, I went through and I had three full bottles of water they didn't catch, but my belt set the, the detector off. Yeah. And it's only in one airport that my belt sets off the detector. And I bought a quote unquote TSA approved metal belt or belt, you know, a buckle for my belt. So it wouldn't do that. It doesn't do it in any other airport, but one And that same airport missed three bottles of water. And when I went through, I literally took them out of my bag. I went, Oh, whoops. I, I don't need these. And they looked at me kind of odd. I went, you missed it. Not me. I'm good. And I walked on through. You know, what I, I started a conversation, Wesley, by saying people walk out of your keynotes concerned. And I think Part of that concern is because they say, you know, um, that everybody or a high percentage, in fact, one number I read is as high as 83% of all companies are, are vulnerable. And in fact, it's not a matter of if, but when they're going to be hacked. Am I being chicken little or is it a real concern? Or should it be a bigger concern? So it, it, it should be a real concern because all the bad guys have got to do is get it right once. You got to get it right every time. We're not. It's just not going to happen. Human error is going to creep in someplace or another. In fact, human error is the only attack vector that is increasing over the last five years at a steady rate. Other attack vectors will come up. Other attack vectors will go down. But the human element is the one constant that has always been there. You know, is it, is it, is it fair to say chicken little? No. It is just, if I'm a betting man and went to Vegas and put odds on who was going to get breached, I would put it on every single company because sooner or later it's going to happen. And it may not be advertently, it may be inadvertently that it does happen, but it could happen. Hmm. I uh, guess, I guess our ultimate goal is to protect the data, protect the assets of the company. I mean, that, that's, I imagine the complete goal here. And that's really the, the impetus for having security. But, you know, we talk about data breaches and there, there are real life, real numbers being associated with these hacks. I mean, do you have any examples you can share with us? You know, I do. The fact that, you know, we talk about 83% could be or should be or will be. I know from the stats that the majority of companies that do get breached are notified by an outside entity, either the breacher themselves or a company that you have brought in to do some kind of analysis, some kind of external work, they'll see it too. That's over 60% of the known breaches are notified by outside vendors. Wow. That to me is even scarier than the number of companies that could suffer the breach at upwards of 83% because we know a number now. So let's get into this a little bit, little bit deeper. I, um, we talk about security and you know, I, I think if I were to ask 10 different people, I would get 10 different responses of what they consider security to be. I think that's my true statement. But the traditional model that comes into my mind, and I, I've, I've done some research on this, is what they call the perimeter of security model. Right? Uh, password, user ID, and then you're inside the, the, the building and then you're, you're, you have complete access. You had a different term for that and talk about that, please. Well, I called it moat and castle. Right. And you brought up a point about allowing somebody in, and that is the old Moton Castle routine. Once you're in, we trust you to be in. So before I, get, before I transition into that zero trust piece about that user identity, because this is where this is going to go, whether we want it to or not, this is where it's headed. This is not new. 
People go, Moton Castle is dead. It is not dead. It has not been dead. It will not be dead. And you can quote me on that. And if it gets, you know, poor reviews, so be it. But here's the deal. We just moved the model. You still have your data centers protected, whether they're on-prem or in-cloud. You still put up security around that. You put up encryption around your data. So we still haven't removed it. If we want to keep the same, uh, same line of reasoning with Moton Castle, now we have our remote users. Those are your knights on horseback. They're armored up. They have their protection. Didn't change. It's the same concept. We just put new words on the old technology. And if I can say this without getting in trouble, it's marketing mumbo jumbo. I mean, I've changed the name and the marketing on, on one of my products four times in the last six years. I'm still using the old marketing terms because I'm not keeping up with it because it's marketing. Just like advanced persistent threat is a marketing. APT stands for another PR term. So we talk about moat and castle that it's not, not it's not dead, but is it still a a um, valid way to do this? We we mentioned it already zero trust, but I guess we're which is where we're heading. But is moat and castle in and of itself a still a valid model or or a sufficient model to keep somebody secure? To keep it secure, no. Is it, a, is it a model? Yes. And what we've had to do is the moat and castle is still your foundation. So let's take myself as the knight. I'm going to go off with my laptop and I'm going to work remotely somewhere. I still have to get back to my data center. So that is not going to change. Now you just made it secure for me to talk to my data center. And if we bring it to the next phase of zero trust, we use multi-factor authentication. We're going to use a couple other other pieces of, of technology to verify who I am, but I'm going to be constantly verified every so many minutes, or if I go to another domain or another enclave within that network, I'm going to be re-verified. Right, right. So we're touching now. We're going in, we're going into the area of zero trust. Where yeah, but I, and I'm trying to keep it under the moat and castle theme. So that whole piece of it is not new. The whole point about zero trust of this piece of it is not new. It's, you know, I can go back and look at a document from March 8th of 2017, talks about minding your network security gaps, what your current monitoring solutions don't tell you. I've got another one that talks about user identity in 2016 and about enforcing the policy and enforcing those rules. That's where the breakdown occurred. It's not new and it still works. That moat and castle still works. Okay. We just can't trust anybody inside the castle. And not only can you not trust somebody, but you have to keep re-credentialing them every time. Yes. You know, and if we want to talk about that piece of zero trust, you see it all the time around you. You just don't realize it. And that's how it is supposed to work. If you go to your favorite airline website and you log in or your bank and you don't touch the keyboard for a few minutes, it's going to log you out. That's zero trust? That is part of zero trust. Okay. The research that I've done says that literally nobody can be trusted that, that, that is that's, correct that's the premise that is the it's in the title zero trust exactly so this brings up an interesting discussion and that really is when you and it, it's true and in, in this conversation and in other areas as well for example like in source code uh, and programming and refactoring and the, the point i'm making is that there's a balance and the balance is how much how much friction do you want to put in front of your users, for example, to keep the bad guys out, but also, but to give the good guys 
a, a good experience without having to uh, keep going through hoops every single time. So, and, and where do you, where's that sweet spot? How, how, do, you, how do you do that? Um, well, it depends on the user because if, if I'm having issues with the user, I want lots of friction so they understand they've messed up. Um, you know, that I say that tongue in cheek. When security becomes problematic for your users and it prohibits your ability to do what your company's set is to do. So if you are in the financial industry, if you're not doing finances and you're not creating money because security is in the way, now we have a problem. If you are in the defense industry and the, and that one's a lot different than the commercial or the financial industry, you know, but when security becomes in, when security gets to the point where you or are doing more about security than you are about being pr productive. That's the word I'm looking for is that when security gets in the way of productivity, we're doing one of the two wrong. And that's where that part's got to change, you know, for with user identity, you know, we want multi-factor authentication. You want it to be something, you know, something you do, something you have something, right. Those, those two pieces, but you want to make it where it could be a fingerprint. So at IBM, we use, an IBM product, and when I have to re-authenticate every 15, 20, 30 minutes or I move to a different enclave, I have to look at my phone. I honestly have to pick it up and look at my face ID to log me in, or I can do my fingerprint, or I can type in a code, but I've got it set up for my ease of use because I got tired of typing in codes just to look at my face. So now I have to keep my phone with me to use my laptop. That's an acceptable trade-off. Like I have a client that has to log in seven to 12 times a day and they don't have a choice on how they do it i'm like well that's odd they should at least you know look at less intrusive mechanisms you know i'm all for fingerprints i'm all for um iris scans on your computer to make sure that it's your eyes i love those things but we have to be able to embrace that technology to say hey this is where we need to go and and, and let me tell you these technologies currently are not cheap. That's why you still see a lot of the old-fashioned username and password and re-authenticate. That's why you still see some of those. Well, that may be true, but uh, in many cases, I think the cost of implementing a zero trust or even just a, a basic secure security model, that's good insurance, and that's still cheaper than the cost of a data breach, which is more than just money. It's reputation as well. It is. So I can take us back. There was a entertainment company, movies. They make up a, a, a network gaming solution. And, and I won't say who it is, but they created a movie. And the movie got released a little bit, leaked a little bit early, and it made some other countries mad. And that country hacked this entertainment system. $225,000 a year to pay an employee to do the work. You're paying a I don't know what the cost of the software would have been, but that software, the application fix for the software cost this company billions upon billions of dollars. Over $70 million worth of fallout was what this company suffered. And 200, 200 let's say $300,000 a year would have solved that problem. But they saw it as an overhead they didn't want to pay. Well, they paid it in the end. Right, in spades. Oh, yes. Hmm. And the movie was a bomb. The movie was flat. <laughs> Besides. <laughs>
So how does somebody get started if they really want to go down the zero trust path? I guess, so and before I even have that question, I guess my question is, is zero trust, is that a model that all companies eventually should adopt? So you ask, should they adopt it? And that is a valid question. Part of that answer is they've already adopted it and did not know it, whether they wanted to or not. Okay. Because zero trust, there are four primary myths, and I'm not going to cover all of it. We can find everybody on YouTube talking about it. I don't need to recover all of it here. But one of the biggest myths is that we try to establish trust and zero trust. There is no trust in zero trust. And that's also one of the biggest problems that we have with zero trust is trying to establish trust. Stop establishing trust. Trust is your vulnerability in this entire concept. Regardless of what a person's title is or what their responsibility Especially is. what a person's title is. Um, case in point, uh, when Jenny Ramadi was our CEO, our, our, our supreme poobah grand leader, she actually showed up to one of our data centers to give it. that was given to her a tour. She didn't have her badge. Well, everybody let her in because everybody knew she's Jenny Ramadi. And she said, well, you can't let me in. I don't have my badge, but you're Jenny. We know you. You're the boss. We have to let you in. No, you don't. She didn't have her badge. Technically, you shouldn't have let her in. I get it. It's Jenny Ramadi. You let her in. Um, so the whole thing, the whole concept about the zero trust, right? The first myth is there's trust. There's no trust. We don't trust our users. That's why we give them badges, ID cards. That's why you have all of that piece of it. And we've already implemented that across the board with two-factor authentication. We've already done that with VPN access. So we've already incorporated some pieces of zero trust, right? Like a, you, what I was saying earlier is there's not a product about zero trust, but what there is, is there is products that help us achieve zero trust. And we, we tied a lot around the user entity and that's, that, that's good because again, that is the number one problem that we have is with the identity piece. So you just mentioned something that I want to just grab onto. You mentioned that there are products out there. Are you talking about things like a security penetration test? Yes, uh, any, any type of a red team testing, blue team testing, any type of vulnerability assessment, those help you achieve your zero trust model. They help you find your holes. They help you identify the gaps in what you're not seeing because honestly, when you're a security administrator, you're an analyst, you're looking at it and you're looking at the same thing over and over again, you're going to get a bias. Like Charles, if you came to my office, like, no, man, let him in. I know him. You're not vetted. I just broke all the protocol and trust or the zero trust because I trusted you because I know you. Right. We can't be doing that. Right. Mm -hmm. So talking about that uh, penetration test, is that a one and done or is that something that you need to do on, on some regular cadence? So penetration testing and vulnerability assessments are twin step brothers. A vulnerability assessment is nothing more than a pen test where the bad guys, quote unquote, bad guys, your guys, or whoever you hire to do your VA knows all your passwords. They know all your loopholes. They know everything. And they're going to help you go from what we call a crawl, walk, run method. So we're going to do a vulnerability assessment first. We're going to look at all your assets. We're going to see what their patch levels are. We're going to go through and check, you know, your firewall rules. We're going to do your basic stuff. We're going to do some basic testing, but we're going to have the keys to the kingdom so we don't get stopped by what we're doing. And then we find those those loopholes or there's those gaps and we help you fix those gaps and we do this again and we do this again we'll do this two three four times over the course of a year or two 
And then when you think you got it down, you call an independent company or the same company with different teammates and you have them do a pen test. And the first time you do the pen test, you're expecting not great results or you're expecting, don't have higher expectations is what I will say. And then what we do is we take that to see where you were, but what, so with a pen test, let's say that we set it up for the first week of December of this year. All you do is you tell your team that it's going to be during this time period. Be looking for it. You give them a little bit of help if they're not ready for it. Or you may say, we're going to do a pen test on this day, and you give them a block of hours to start looking for those, like, those activities in your analytics tools, in your firewalls, in your sims, in your source. You build those playbooks, and you do this. And then the next time, you may, have, you may open that window up to the week, or you may open it up to that month. And then after that, you get a recurring basis. But every time you do a pen test, if the pen testers are not giving you the information that you need to fill, to secure those gaps, there's no point in the pen test. That pen test is to help you get to a level of security in your maturity model that you need to get to that um, gets you into compliancy while you're maintaining your security. I'm glad you mentioned that word because that's a, another quote that I read that you actually had said, and it, it really resonated with me. And you, you just mentioned compliancy. So the fact that I may achieve industry compliance does not necessarily mean that I'm still as secure as I need to be. Correct. All right. So, so give me an example of that. In your policy, it might say that you need to have a password for every user. Okay. Right. Your okay. password needs to be at least seven characters long. That might be all it says. Okay. A, B, C, D, one, two, three, four is a password. It can be easily guessed. You are not secure if that's what you're using. You are compliant, but you're not secure. And under that umbrella, there are many examples of things you can point out. There are thousands of examples I can point out. Thousands. Thousands of examples. You know, earlier um, in one of the presentations, and, and, and I talk about it all the time, that there is not a single right way to do security. And anybody who tells you that it is, is absolutely full of garbage. There is not a single right way, but there are tens of thousands wrong ways to do it. You know, so if, there's no one size fits all template then? No, not at all. I mean, it could be, um, but, you know, I'm using a policy may say I might use a firewall, that I got to use a firewall and create rules. All right, I got a firewall. If I don't configure the firewall correctly, I'm not secure, but I'm compliant. If I go in, you know, if I'm with the federal government and I use a firewall that is not permitted to be on my network or I use a device that's not permitted to be on my network, I'm breaking all kinds of compliance and security, even though the software itself may do what I need it to do. I did not. I'm now not in either one. Right. Um, so that whole that whole piece about uh, compliancy. If you run compliancy first, you're going to fail. That is a no-no. You will fail what happens. If you do security first, then make your security objectives fit your compliance objectives. Now you're doing it correctly because I'm going to get both security and compliance. Right, right. And it still doesn't mean you're going to do that wrong or make a mistake because we're still human. Which we've, we've just gone full circle right there. We just ended, we just ended this, uh, this little conversation, how we started it. Exactly. Same way you did. So let's kind of start wrapping this up because there are some, I mean, Wesley, I could sit here for three more hours and just, and just keep talking because this topic 
there's so many different avenues we can go down and it's 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 fascinating and again i go back to what i said earlier there's no surprise that this topic is is always uh front of mind because it, it is a real concern and and, and there are real, there are real hard assets at stake here so just to give people something to think about as as we um, start saying goodbye here what do you yourself read or, or what industry magazines if you can name any or just some topics that that you read that what should somebody be looking at to stay current on this topic because it is so important so if we want to look at just at zero trust if you just slap in google zero trust and put in whatever you're going to get millions of documents if I'm going to start talking about zero trust in the way that it is supposed to be, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to listen to a gentleman, gentleman by the name of John Kindervog, and I will spell his last name, K-I-N-D-R-V-A-G, John Kindervog. He's been a mentor to mine, and he's actually the creator of zero trust. If you want to know what it is in its entirety, listen to what that man says. And then I would listen to anything that he says that this is good reading or good listening to. There are tons out there that's the number one resource in zero trust bar none i disclaimer i do not follow the ibm zero trust model i do not promote it i do not now when i'm in my ibm uniform yes i do because i'm paid to do so but everything i talk about is based on john kindervog's vision of zero trust why he owns it literally he's the creator of zero trust that's first He's the genesis, yes. but are, are there others who have taken that the what his basic infrastructure and then have expanded on it? There are, um, and maybe you yourself. Oh no, 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 no! I am just a mere padawan compared to that Jedi master, because um, he can talk about it in four minutes and you totally understand it. And he talks about the four myths and the five other pillars. You know, the next thing that I do is I go to, and I and I read a lot of company blogs. I read a lot of company. I'll read IBMs, I'll read Dell, I'll read um, SAICs because that's the wheelhouse that I need to be into with my federal customers. I'll read the executive orders on zero trust and what it's supposed to be. And I go, okay, this is right, this is wrong, this is right, this is wrong, based on what John Kindervog has taught us. You know, for me, and this is what I will wrap this up in, and it's not just about zero trust. If you're ever reading a book if you're ever reading a document, a guide, I don't care what it is or who it is. And it says to achieve zero trust, you need to do X, Y, and Z. If it doesn't match what the current status is, and I don't want to say because it changes, but let's say we're not reading John Kindervog's view on this, or it's different. When, and there, like I said, there can be differences in what we do and how we do it, because there's not a single right way, but there's 10,000 wrong ways. If you're reading any document, any guide, any, any paper that says that you can achieve zero trust only by doing what we do, they're wrong. So I discredit that. If you're reading one and it says that, that you can do everything that you need to do but to, choo- to achieve true security or true zero trust or whatever it may be, and it says that everything else is all the same until you get to what this product does, you're reading an infomercial. You're not reading true security. Those are the ones that I tell you to watch out for. I'll never tell you that one person is better than the other one, except for John Kindervog, because he literally created this. Right. But I've already proven that it's not new. All he did was put a title on it. 
But if you're listening to somebody that says that you can only get this with my product or with the way I do it, there's your wrong answer. Move to the next one. That doesn't say that. And that's the fairest way I can put it. That's, that's very succinct. And I, I think it's a great way to end our conversation. Um, Wesley, what else can I tell you? This has been, a, like I said, we can talk for hours. I, I, we can't. In fact, here's what I'll do for you. You ready? If your listeners or anybody else says, hey, this was really good. You want to do another one? I will do more with you. And we can talk about any nuance and security you want to talk about. I'm going to hold it to that. <laughs> so, so we'll consider this part one then. How's that sound? You got it. It's part one. Terrific. Thank you. All right. Well, listen, um, thank you, everybody, for listening to our podcast. Do take Wesley's advice and things that he said to heart because he is, uh, bar none, one of the true experts in this field, in this area. And there's, it's no surprise why he's doing as many keynotes as, as I've seen him present. So that, that's that's good advice from me to you. Anyway, we'll wrap it up here. Wesley, you thank you. You're too kind, sir. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Wesley. Please remember, everybody, to check out Tech Channel's website. It's uh, I say this every time. It's chock full of other great information, podcasts, blogs, things like that. So it's, it's also worth a visit for you. Thank you very much. Until next month, everybody. See you again. Bye now.